Section 16 of France in the 19th Century. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. France in the 19th Century by Elizabeth Latimer. Chapter 10. Maximilian and Mexico. Part 2. After a time Carlotta was removed to Belgium, where she has been since secluded from the world, but tenderly watched over by her relations. From time to time she partially recovers her reason. Matters in Mexico after her departure grew worse every day. Bazaine had received orders to withdraw all French troops from the country. He was directed to withhold from Maximilian all French support, and in obedience to these instructions he flung into the river Sequia and Lake Tashcoco all the guns and ammunition he could not take away. Prior to the withdrawal of the French troops, the French government made several efforts to induce Maximilian to abdicate. The Marquis de Gallifet, of whom we shall hear again in another chapter, was sent, with two other French gentlemen, to urge him to leave Mexico. Quote, I know all the difficulties of my position, Maximilian replied, but I shall not give up my post. A son of the House of Habsburg never retreats in the face of danger. Nevertheless, after receiving the first letters from his wife, Maximilian's resolution was shaken. He hoped at least to return to Europe as an emperor, and not a fugitive, and to lay aside his crown of his own accord. With this view he set out for Orizaba, where the Dandolo corvette was waiting to receive his orders. On his way he was delayed some hours, because the white mules that drew his carriage had been stolen. At Orizaba he was attacked by malarious chills. There, too, he received news of his wife's insanity. Some of his generals surrounded him and prayed him not to abandon his followers to the vengeance of their enemies. The leaders of the clerical party also begged him, for the sake of the church, to return to Mexico, promising him the support of the clergy throughout the country if he would but give up liberal ideas, and support at all costs the temporal prosperity of the church. Maximilian, on the strength of these assurances, went back to his capital, protesting that he remained only for the good of other people, and was influenced neither by personal considerations nor political wishes of his own. But Maximilian was not the man to contend with the difficulties that beset him in Mexico. His very merits were against him. As we read the sad history of his failure, we feel that in his hands the regeneration of Mexico was hopeless. Men like John or Henry Lawrence, heroes of the Indian mutiny, accustomed to deal with semi-savages, might perhaps have succeeded. But Maximilian was the product of an advanced civilization, and all his sentiments were of a super-refined character. He was no general. His forces were kept scattered over an immense area. He seems to have been no administrator. He was accustomed to deal with Italians, men of enthusiastic natures and fanatical ideas. Mexicans had no enthusiasms, and in place of patriotism there was a prevailing sentiment of thorough aversion to the French and to the foreigners they had brought with them. Maximilian had come to Mexico with all kinds of liberal projects for its civilization. It was like forcing sanitary improvements on the inhabitants of an Irish shanty, or catching a street gamin and imposing on him the restraints and amenities of high-class culture. The departure of the French troops left the way clear for the party of Juarez. It rapidly gained strength, and prepared to besiege the emperor in his capital. Quote, I cannot bear to expose the city to danger, said Maximilian, who in spite of being continually harassed and cruelly deceived day after day, never failed in consideration for those about him. He retired to Queretaro, where Generals Miramon, Castillo, Mejia, Avellano, and Prince Salmsalm had gathered a little army of about eight thousand men. Maximilian at Queretaro showed all his nobleness of spirit, kindness of heart, and simplicity of life. During the siege, which lasted over two months, 
he shared the fatigues and privations of his common soldiers and lived as they did on the flesh of mules while his officers tables were much better supplied he exposed his person upon all occasions taking daily walks upon the bastions as tranquilly as he might have done in the green alleys of his distant home one day his eye fell upon six dead bodies dangling from the branches of six trees he turned away with intense emotion they were the bodies of six of his own couriers who had fallen into the hands of the enemy he might have cut his way out of Queretaro at the head of his cavalry but he hesitated to abandon his foot soldiers quote, I will die sword in hand, were now his daily words. Every day his men brought in prisoners. Even when such persons were suspected of being spies, Maximilian would not order their execution. Quote, no, no, he said, if things go well, there is no need. If ill, I shall not have their blood upon my soul. When the siege had lasted seventy days, provisions grew so scarce that the only alternative seemed a sortie or a surrender. The sortie was decided on. On the night of May 14, 1867, the seven thousand men still in Queretaro were to break through the lines of the enemy and endeavor to make their way to Veracruz. Singularly enough, the Juarez general Escobedo had fixed on the 15th of May for his final assault. Neither sortie nor assault took place. The treason of General Lopez prevented the one, and rendered the other unnecessary. Lopez, who called himself the most devoted adherent of the emperor, had sold the life of his friend and benefactor for two thousand ounces of gold. One year before, when Lopez had been at Puebla in attendance on the Empress, he had sent for his wife, who, having made a hurried journey, was prematurely confined. Quote, I cannot allow your son, wrote Maximilian, to come into the world in another man's house. I send you the enclosed sum. Purchase the house where your son was born. Having kept up constant communication with the camp of the besiegers, Lopez, on the morning of May 13, sent a note to Escobedo, offering to deliver over to him the convent of La Cruz, which was the emperor's headquarters. Escobedo accepted his proposals. About midnight, Lopez and the troops under his command went over to the enemy. The soldiers of Juarez quietly entered the town and surrounded the convent where the emperor and his staff were sleeping. At dawn, Maximilian rose, dressed himself, woke Prince Samsam, and they went out together, with no arms but their swords. As they reached the gates of the convent, the emperor perceived Juarist soldiers on guard, and turning to his companion cried, quote, We are betrayed, here is the enemy. At this moment, Lopez, who had seen them come into the courtyard, pointed out the emperor to Colonel Rincon Gallardo, who was in command of the detachment from the army of Juarez. Rincon was an honorable soldier and kind-hearted. He said, loud enough to be heard by his own men, Quote, they are citizens, let them pass, they are not soldiers. End quote. The emperor was dressed in a black frock coat, but with military trousers and epaulettes. He and Prince Samsam then walked through the convent gates and made their way in haste to the opposite quarter of the city. The streets were silent and empty. Suddenly a sharp fire of musketry was heard, mingled with Juarist and imperial war cries. Miramon, with his troops, was holding one of the widest streets of Queretaro when a ball hit him in the face. He fell, half-blinded, and was taken prisoner. Miramon was the son of a French father and a Spanish mother, and was one of the very few generals on either side who were of pure white blood. The emperor, with generals Mejia, Castillo, Avellano, and Prince Somsom, retired to a little hill which commanded the city. They had no artillery, no means of defending their position. They stood on the bare rock where they had taken refuge, like shipwrecked soldiers waiting for the fatal rising of the tide. 
general escobedo a coarse man who had formerly been a muleteer prepared to charge up the hill with four battalions of infantry and a strong party of cavalry Quote, do not fire you will shed blood to no purpose said the emperor to the little band of followers who surrounded him then in a low sad voice he ordered one of his aides-de-camp to fasten a white handkerchief on the end of a bayonet the juarists who were ascending the hill came to a halt then amid profound silence the emperor came forward he paused a moment as he stepped out of the little group of his followers and looked around him then he descended the hill with a firm step followed by several of his generals the juarists saluted him by their party cry quote, viva la libertad they recognized the emperor maximilian walked straight up to their commander an ex-federal united states officer who under the name of corona was in command of a party of americans who had entered the service of juarez and were called the legion of honor this legion was composed of fifty men some had worn the blue and some the gray each held rank in the mexican army as an officer Quote, general said maximilian to corona both men and fortune have betrayed me there are widows and orphans enough already in the world here is my sword Quote, sire said the general forgetting that the man who addressed him was no longer emperor keep your sword he then proposed to maximilian to mount a horse and escorted him with the other prisoners to the convent of santa teresita there the emperor and his generals were shut up at once in a dark cellar and not only had to sleep upon the damp earth floor but were left to suffer from hunger in a few days however princess Somsom brought them some relief they were then transferred to the convent of la capuchina and their friends obtained permission to send them wine clothes and provisions princess Somsom, in the last act of this tragedy showed herself to be a brave and generous woman when her husband left the capital she had crossed the enemy's lines in order to get out of mexico but was twice in danger of being shot by the soldiers of diaz she was accused of supplying money to a troop of austrian soldiers who having been captured were confined at chapultepec and she was imprisoned at guadalupe after a short detention however she obtained leave to quit Mexico for Europe. But changing her route, she managed to rejoin her husband at Carretaro. Thence, hiding by day and travelling by night, she made her way back to San Luis de Potosi, where Juarez had his headquarters. She threw herself at his feet and implored his mercy for the emperor. But Juarez told her, not without some signs of compassion, that he felt no inclination to spare his life, and that if he were willing to do so, he would not be permitted by his followers to show him any clemency. When Maximilian heard of this brave enterprise on his behalf, he could not refrain from tears. The prisoners were three weeks at La Capuchina, in complete uncertainty as to what would be done with them. Indeed, the Juarists seemed much embarrassed by their prize. On June 10 they were informed that Juarez had sent an order to have them tried by a court-martial, which would be held on the 12th of June. Quote, "'Where are you going to take me?' asked Maximilian on that day of the officer who came to escort him. Quote, to the court-martial was the reply quote, where is it held said maximilian quote, in the theatre then i refuse to accompany you i will not be made a public spectacle at a theatre you may go alone the officer not being authorized to use force went away the trial proceeded without the presence of the prisoner generals miramon and mejia however were dragged upon the stage where the court-martial was sitting the playhouse was crowded with spectators it was a tragedy with no admission fee the proceedings lasted three days the emperor was accused of usurpation of instigating civil war and of causing the death of forty thousand patriots hanged or shot in consequence of his order of october three intended to operate only against armed bands of robbers 
on the morning of june fifteenth eighteen sixty seven general escobedo presented himself in the prison holding the sentence of the court-martial in his hand maximilian who could guess his fate said quietly quote, read it general i am ready to hear you maximilian miramon and mejia were condemned to be shot quote, i understand you said the emperor with perfect calmness the law of october three was made to put down robbers this sentence is the work of murderers escobedo laid his hand on his revolver with a sudden exclamation then recovering himself he said sarcastically quote, i suppose that a criminal must be allowed the right to vilify his judges maximilian turned his back on him and escobedo left the prison the execution had been ordered for the next morning but was put off till the nineteenth by order of juarez meantime the english and prussian ambassadors hastened to juarez hoping to obtain mercy for the late emperor the french and austrian courts by telegraph implored the mediation of the united states there was no american minister at that time in mexico but mr seward sent telegraphic dispatches to juarez pointing out that the execution of maximilian would rouse the feelings of the civilized world against the mexican republic all was of no avail the idea of foreign intervention in the affairs of mexico was so distasteful to the mexicans that these pleadings on the late emperor's behalf by foreign governments only accelerated his fate during the night before his death maximilian asked his jailers for a pair of scissors he was refused then he implored one of them to cut off a lock of his hair when that was done he wrote the following pathetic letter to carlotta quote, my beloved carlotta if god should permit you one of these days to get well enough to read these lines you will know how sad has been my fate ever since your departure you took with you my happiness my very life and my good fortune why did i not take your advice so many sad things have taken place so many unexpected catastrophes and undeserved misfortunes have fallen on me that i have now lost heart and hope and look upon death as my good angel. My death will be sharp and sudden, without pain. I shall fall gloriously, like a soldier, like a conquered sovereign. If you cannot, dearest, bear up under your load of sorrow, if God in his mercy soon reunites us by your death, I will bless his fatherly hand, which now seems very heavy upon me. Adieu, adieu, your poor Max. He kissed this letter, folded it into the light silky lock of his own hair, and placed it with the other letters which he had written to his mother and friends. They were all in French, and written in a clear, firm, regular hand. His noble nature shone in every line. They give the key to the irresistible personal sympathy he inspired in all who knew him. His enemies were aware of this, and no judge or general who had ever known him sat on his court-martial. As six o'clock was striking on the morning of June 19, the door of the prison was unbarred. Quote, I am ready, said Maximilian. As he stepped forth from the door of the convent, he exclaimed, quote, What a beautiful morning! I have always fancied I should like to die in sunshine on a summer day. He entered the carriage in waiting. Miramon and Mejia followed him, with the priest who attended them in their last moments. They were escorted by a body of four thousand men, and were driven to the same rocky height on which they had been captured, called the Cerro de la Campaña. They sat upright in the carriage during the drive, with proud smiles upon their faces. They were carefully dressed, as if for an occasion of festivity. The population of the place was all abroad to see them pass, and looked at them with silent pity and admiration. The calmness and self-possession of the emperor, about to die, touched even the most indifferent spectators. The women freely shed tears. Maximilian was a handsome, striking-looking man. 
His beautiful light hair was parted by a straight line from his forehead to the nape of his neck. His blue eyes were clear and soft, with a beseeching look in them. His hands were beautifully white, his fingers elegant and taper. As they neared the place of execution, General Mejia suddenly turned pale, covered his face, and with a sob fell back in his place in the carriage. He had caught sight of his wife, agonized, dishevelled, with her baby in her arms, and all the appearance of a madwoman. The party arrived at the foot of the little hill. The emperor sprang out, brushed off some dust which had settled on his clothes, and going up to the firing party, gave each man an ounce of gold. Quote, "'Take good aim, my friends,' he said. "'Do not, if possible, hit me in the face, but shoot right at my heart.'" One of the soldiers wept. Maximilian went to him, and putting his cigar-case of silver filigree into his hand, said, quote, "'Keep that, my friend, in remembrance of me. It was given to me by a prince more fortunate than I am now.'" The non-commissioned officer then came near, and said he hoped that he would forgive him. Quote, "'My good fellow,' replied Maximilian cheerfully, "'a soldier has but to obey orders. His duty is to do his duty.'" Then, turning to Miramon and Mejia, he said, quote, let me, true friends, embrace you for the last time. End quote. He did so, and then added, quote, In a few minutes we shall be together in a better world. End quote. Turning to Miramon, he said, quote, General, the bravest man should have the place of honor. Take mine. End quote. Mejia, being very much cast down by the sad spectacle presented by his poor, distracted wife, Maximilian again pressed his hands, saying, quote, God will not abandon our suffering survivors. For those who die unjustly, things will be set right in another world. The drums began to beat. The end was near. Maximilian stepped forward, mounted on a stone, and addressed the spectators. Quote, Mexicans, men of my rank and of my race, who feel as I feel, must either be the benefactors of the people over whom they reign, or martyrs. It was no rash ambition of my own that called me hither. You yourselves invited me to accept your throne. Before dying, let me tell you that with all the powers I possess, I sought your good. Mexicans, may my blood be the last blood that you shed. May Mexico, the unhappy country of my adoption, be happy when I am gone. As soon as he had resumed his place, a sergeant came up to order Miramon and Mejia to turn round. As traitors, they were to be shot in the back. Quote, Farewell, dear friends, said Maximilian, and crossing his arms, he stood firm as a statue. When the command was given, shoulder arms, a murmur of protestation, accompanied by threats, rose among part of the crowd, in which there were many Indians. Their national superstitions and traditions had attached this simple people to the emperor. They had a prophecy among them that one day a white man would come over the seas to set them free, and many of them looked for this saviour in Maximilian. The officers in command turned towards the crowd, shaking their swords. Then came the words, Take aim! fire. Quote, Long live Mexico, cried Miramon. Quote, Carlotta, poor Carlotta, exclaimed Maximilian. When the smoke of the volley had cleared away, three corpses lay upon the earth. That of the emperor had received five balls. The victims were placed in coffins which lay ready near the place of execution, and escorted as they had been before, were carried back to the convent of the Capuchins. Quote, the emperor being dead, we will do all honour to the corpse of the Archduke of Austria, said Colonel Miguel Palacios, to whom this care was given. The corpse was embalmed, and the body placed in a vault. 
the russian ambassador baron magnus and the american commander of a united states vessel of war which lay off vera cruz in vain solicited the body of the late emperor the austrian vice-admiral tegethoff the illustrious conqueror at lisa had to come and personally demand it in november of the next year he at the same time obtained the release of the austrian soldiers still retained as prisoners and of prince somsom lying under sentence of death since the execution of the emperor as for the traitor lopez instead of the two thousand ounces of gold that he expected he got only seven thousand dollars his wife refused to live with him after his treachery to maximilian and once when he went to see general rincon gallardo to request his influence to get him restored to his former rank in the mexican army which he had forfeited by his connection with the imperial government the answer he received was quote, colonel lopez if i ever recommend you for any place that place will be under a tree with a rope round your neck tied to one of its branches maximilian will live in history as a good man and a martyred sovereign long after his death the indians in carretero would not put up an adobe hut without inserting in it a pebble from the hill on which he was executed on the very day of his death an order signed by him was received in europe not for rifled cannon not for needle-guns but for two thousand nightingales which he desired to have purchased in the tyrol to add to the attractions of his empire End of chapter ten End of section sixteen